You're listening to The Simply Flawsome Show, a podcast designed for you to listen, learn, and leverage. Please welcome your host, Zoe Turner. to you from Leicester and Dubai, where I'm very happy to welcome the fourth guest on the Simply Flawsome show. Super excited to be interviewing this man today. He walks his truth unlike any person that I have ever known, and he is one of the most passionate people that I have met about his purpose and his mission in life. The focus for this season is mental health, and I couldn't think of a better man to speak about the subject. He has personally experienced some of the most challenging circumstances in the last year, yet he continues to live his life with a level of consciousness that blows my mind. Most recently, he brought an abundance of passion and purpose to Pentonville Prison. He is a passionate serial entrepreneur who dropped out of school at the age of 16 with no formal qualifications and he set up his own company at the age of 17. He's also a coach, a philanthropist and a speaker and he sure knows how to captivate an audience and command a stage. So please welcome Mr. Peter Sage. Well, what an introduction. <laughs> Thank you, Zoe. It's a real, real pleasure to be here. And I'm so excited that we get to do this together. And uh, I know it's been a while since we connected in Dubai. And uh, I'm thrilled that you've got this podcast and this, uh, this medium with which to be able to inspire people with your gift as well. So thank you for inviting me. Thank you, Pete. Thanks for coming on. So first of all, Pete, uh, can you take us back? Um, where did it all start for you? Was there any, anything or anyone special in your childhood that influenced you to be the man that you are today? Well, great question. And I think that obviously, you know, as, uh, as kids growing up, the, we're very susceptible to the influence of our environment. It's how we're programmed. And parents play a big role in that. And, you know, my mother and father, you know, we were never rich or anything like that. I was born on a, a low-cost housing estate. And, yeah, they, they had very different models of the world. Yeah, they had... Yeah, my father was kind of a uh, uh, rough and ready kind of, yeah, sort of gang leading teddy boy in his day. Uh, doesn't suffer fools gladly. Um, uh, very rules driven, black and white on how he sees the world. Um, my mother was actually a trainee nun. She, she became a special minister with the Catholic Church. Okay. She, you know, my dad was an atheist. And what was amazing, and you, you don't really see this as you're in it, you see it in retrospect. And what I learned vicariously from that was that they had a huge amount of tolerance for understanding each other's model of the world, even though they didn't accept it as their own. They allowed, you know, sort of live and let live and got on great as a result of that. Mm. So I think I, I took a lot on from that in terms of understanding that, you know, uh, I'm okay with everybody else not being okay with me, you know, being okay. Yeah, it's, it sort of really helped me get out of what I call being driven by the good opinion of others, which mm-hmm. is where so many people adapt themselves into this inauthentic expression that's really craving acceptance, approval. Uh, and I think that was a big part of my childhood growing up was really kind of learning that third party or, or you know, vicariously through my parents. And it set me up for a lifetime of, of knowing that everything's possible. Mm-hmm. That's the goop that I hear you talk about, Yeah. Yes, good opinion of other people. Goop, it's a sticky, nasty substance to swim in. And the faster you learn to get out of that and get into social freedom, mm-hmm. uh, the, you know, the more, um, I guess, I, the, the more liberated you'll be to be able to live a life of, of joy and fulfillment rather than and fear and, and hiding out. Okay, okay. So, Pete, I've known you for quite some time and you are different to a lot of people. The way that you think, the way that you act, where does this come from? I think we all have an individual sense of expression. But as I said, you know, most people don't feel comfortable enough to express it because there's a lot of unconscious fears. Yeah, the primary fear that we all have as human beings is the fear that we're not enough. 
Yeah, not good enough, not you know, good looking enough, not tall enough, short enough, whatever it may be. We, we all have this fear that ultimately says that if yeah, I, I'm not enough and therefore the subtext behind that, if you peel back the onion, is that I, I'm afraid I won't be loved. And yeah, getting over that quickly is um, a, a lifetime's journey. Uh, but I think for, for being different, I, yeah, nobody ever told me I couldn't do anything. And if they did, I didn't listen. Uh, I, I didn't come from a place of privilege, which I think helped a lot mm. because I never had anything to lose. Mm. And when you, you come from a place of not having anything to lose, it's a lot easier to take risks and, and embrace the uncertainty that goes with the game of life. Yeah. And when you see it as a game, you see it as you're here to, to learn and grow and contribute and swing the bat and have this incredible you know, opportunity to exist in this human experience, then yeah, why would you ever want to be fearful? Mm-hmm. And so for me, I don't know, I just had a slightly different way of looking at the world that everybody else had. And that, you, you trace that back to school when everybody else wanted to go out and get a job. Uh, and my mindset was, hang on a minute, for a start, school teaches you two things. It teaches you how to pass tests and go work for somebody else. Now, certainly my day. And neither of those two things are on my agenda. Yeah, it didn't resonate. But more importantly, when I saw people wanting to get a job, I'm like, why would you settle for less than what you're worth? Because by the very fact of getting a job, you're having a business owner pay you for a position. Now, he has to or she has to pay you less than that, what that job's worth by definition. Otherwise, there's nothing in it for the business. <laughs> you know, if, it, if the role's worth a thousand bucks a week, the business can't pay you a thousand bucks a week because then there's no benefit. So it has to pay less. At such a young age, where did that thought, where did that mentality and those thought processes where did they come from? I know certainly when I was that age, I wasn't thinking that way. Um, maybe if I'd had other influences, then yes, maybe, but no. So I'm just wondering at such a young age, where did you get that from? Again, I, I think part of it is the openness to possibility. Yeah, nobody told me that I couldn't. I, I heard the word yes more than I heard the word no growing up. And I think that had a big impact yeah. on, mm-hmm. on not restricting the belief system, which you know, most people <clears throat> are, are not trapped by their, you know, their circumstances. They're trapped by their belief about their circumstances. And so you know, for, for me, I don't know, it just made sense. I don't know where it came from. If I could put it in a bottle and sell it, I would. But you know, I'm just exceptionally grateful that I, I never suffered the disadvantage of, of things like institutional education at a high level, like college or university or you know, being indoctrinated in, um, in a methodology that ultimately is proving globally not to be uh, anywhere near the level of fulfillment uh, that people have been promised it would give them. Okay. So what is your mission and your purpose in life? Very simple. Yeah, my, yeah, my, my purpose is really to help raise the global consciousness of humanity. That's why I'm here. Yeah, my mission is to figure out better ways of being able to do that yeah, authentically. And yeah, and essentially living my truth. Now we talk about you know, finding your purpose and people go sit on mountaintops. I'm not a big believer in trying to find my purpose because uh, your destination will unfold in a non-linear way. There's no straight line to nature. Yeah, what may be your truth right now is the truth of the stepping stone towards a different truth later on. And you need to be okay with living in the space of that question. Now, if you're programming the sat-nav of your life, then your responsibility is to follow the truth in the instructions in the moment. And that may be to go down this particular street. Oh, wow, I'm heading this direction. Well, yeah, but it may take a left turn at the end. That's okay if that's the right way for you. What you don't want to do is adjust the route based upon fear. Adjust the route based upon limiting what you believe is you know, your capabilities rather than listening to what your heart says, which says, go for it. Mm. Uh, so really, the, the refinement of the game of life is being able to choose love over fear in ever more challenging circumstances. That's the binary equation. That, that's what it boils down to. Everything else is a, a, a delineation or a refinement of that choice. Am mm. I choosing truth based in love? Yeah, or am I choosing to withdraw and avoid my truth based on fear? And I'm not saying it's easy, but that's the game. That's why we're in what I call earth school. 
And if you go to grade nine, you have certain questions and lessons in grade nine that are geared to stretch you. The questions aren't meant to be easy. And you have an exam at the end of the year. And if you pass that, guess what? You go to grade 10 and the questions are harder. Welcome to earth school. That's the game. We're never done. You know, we're here to grow and contribute. And if you look at nature, it applies those rules or it's taken out of the food chain. We just think we're different. And especially in somewhere like Dubai, I mean, I, you know, I lived in Dubai for, for six years and that there's so much fear there masqueraded through the, the craving and the need for significance. Yeah, most people are spending all of their money trying to convince other people they have more money. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the game ultimately down to fear, ultimately down to ego. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying it's part of the journey of growth to transcend that. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Pete, I truly believe that pain can drive you to a, a positive place. As you're aware that the focus for this season is mental health. So for those that are at rock bottom, suffering from depression, and especially with it being Christmas, because Christmas is the time that it can hit people the most. There's going to be a lot of people spending it alone, um, mothers and fathers apart from the children, individuals with no family support. So what bit of advice or inspiration would you, can you give to anyone going through a hard time this Christmas? You know, hard times are our best teachers, depending on how we look at them. And it's all down to, do I see myself as a victim? Yeah. yeah you, Einstein asked the, uh, or made a, a very profound statement. You know, one of the most profound statements. Einstein was famous for being able to, take complexity and make it simple, mm. which is useful for people like me because I can't understand complexity very well. And I'm certainly not a quantum physicist, but he, he chunked down uh, something that is so profound and most people missed it. But if you were to sit with this and actually look at the implications, it would have a massive impact for the kind of people that are going through a hard time right now. And he said, listen, the most important question that a person can ask in their lifetime now, bearing in mind, Zoe, that questions are the steering wheel of the mind. You ask a lousy question, you're going to get a lousy answer. And most people this time of year are asking questions like, why am I on my own? Why don't I have enough money? Why does everybody else seem to have their life together and I don't? Why did she leave me? Why did, you know, blah, blah, whatever it is. They're asking lousy questions and your mm. brain, like a faithful dog, is designed to go fetch the stick. You throw the stick in the form of a question, it'll go fetch you an answer. It doesn't matter if the stick's good or bad. Its job is to fetch the stick. So, oh, why did she leave me? The brain's going to go and say, bring an answer back, probably because you're a schmuck. You know, it, it, it'll fetch something because that's its job. So Einstein said the most powerful question that a person can ask in their lifetime, this is from one of the smartest humans that we know that ever lived in modern times. He said, is this, do I or do I not live in a friendly universe? Yeah, she said a friendly or hostile universe. Yeah. Now, if you answer the question, or you come to the conclusion that I live in an unfriendly or hostile universe, you are going to, by default, live your life through the lens of fear. Everything's out to get you. You've got to take what you can from the game, uh, at the expense of you know, whatever it takes, you are going to be um, at the mercy of circumstance. Now, if you're convinced that you live in a friendly universe, you look at life through completely different looking glasses. And I'll give you a, an example here that I think people can relate to that would be useful. If you go to the gym, you know, we know that going to the gym is a useful part of growing physically. If you don't make time for health, you're going to have to make time for illness. That's just a binary equation of life. And I know you're super healthy. You know, you're one of the, the most fit people that I know. You go out running in the heat. You, yeah, you, you have that level of discipline. That's, that's a testament to your character, Zoe. But for, if you go to the gym, imagine that you didn't know what the gym was for. Or you didn't have a context for the gym. And you show up at this place and you've got somebody barking at you called a personal trainer telling you to lift weights until it hurts. Now, if you didn't understand that you were there to win a gold medal, you would have resentment, right? You would be complaining. You would be arguing. You'd be trying to uh, hide behind a weight machine so they didn't see you. you know, all of that stuff because you didn't, you'd think the gym was a hostile place that gave you nothing but pain. 
Now, if you had context for the gym, that listen, you're there because you're an athlete. You're there because you're training for a competition. You're there because you want to win that gold medal. You want to become the best version of who you can be. And you've hired a very expensive personal trainer. And that personal trainer's job is to make sure that you throw up within 60 minutes because he's pushing you that hard. Yeah. And if you don't, you're going to want your money back. Now, at the point where you have an understanding that you're in the gym and you're busting out that last set, let's say that you're curling you know, on the bar or you're on the leg press and you're pushing that last final rep and your legs are screaming. The muscle fibers are sending messages to the brain saying, stop, you're, we're being broken down. Yeah, send more pain signals. What the hell's going on? You know? So all of that, you know, if you take it from the perspective of the muscle fiber, is pain, please stop. But if you chunk up to a level of awareness of the athlete, you're actually proud that you busted out that last screaming rep. You're proud that you can't walk to the changing rooms, right? And you feel a sense of satisfaction of that. Now, if you're sitting alone at Christmas and you don't realize that you're in the gym of life, then you're going to start complaining that it hurts. You're going to start complaining because you don't understand the context for why you're having to go through this tough workout. But if you realize that you know, the purpose of life is to grow and contribute, not to sit there and withdraw and be fearful and complain. Because yeah. you live in a friendly universe. The personal trainer is here to help. And yes, it may feel hard. But if you don't have a context for understanding that, you're going to be running to try to hide. You're going to be spending your life justifying the fact that you had a tough workout and life doesn't love you when the opposite is actually true. You often, I've heard you say that sometimes people have to split up and they have to like screw up to learn from their own lessons because we all learn from adversity. So I guess this ties in quite well with that. The, the challenge is this, if you keep running away from the personal trainer and you haven't done, you, you don't learn the lessons, you, you're going you to keep running. If you embrace the challenge and you learn what you're here to learn, the lessons get easier. Uh, uh, using a military example, yeah, if you join boot camp, there is a ton of BS that goes with that. You know, you're being kicked out of bed, surprised at two in the morning, the runner six miles, you're having to clean your boots, you're having all of this stuff to weed out the wheat from the chaff to toughen you up. Now, once you qualify and you go for, let's say, special forces training, it's more advanced training, but there's none of that old BS. Mm. Yeah, the lessons aren't that hard. It's more advanced. Mm -hmm. Have to prove all that stuff. So people that still haven't learned that they're here to grow out of their own ego, that they're still here to realize that life isn't about them. It's about what they can do to contribute to the greater good. They're going to stay in boot camp. They're going to get tougher lessons. They're going to be kicked out of bed at two in the morning to polish their boots and run a five mile run. Right? Once you graduate that and you realize that you know, life isn't just about what I can take, but about what I can give, you graduate into special forces training, and now the ride gets easier. Yeah, there's none of that other stuff. It becomes more interesting. You're now learning things about how you can give your gift, yeah, rather than how you can take from the system. Does that make sense? Yes, thank you. And you're right. Sometimes people have to bang their head on the pavement to, in order to learn how to tie their shoelaces. That's just part of the feedback system. Thank you. Pete, people all around us, people we know, acquaintances, um, many of them are giving in to the mental health struggles and they're ending their lives prematurely. Have you ever thought, have you ever had thoughts about giving in and ending it all when you've been at your lowest? No. And, and well, I'll, I'll, I'll recharacterize that because it's never black and white. Sometimes the struggle is hard. Sometimes we're left at rock bottom. Sometimes we can't just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. But one has to understand that all stress when it comes to that has nothing to do with what's actually going on in the outside world. It's what we perceive is going on and the meaning we give it. That's it. Suicidal people have one yeah, thing in common. They have no compelling future. If you find a compelling future or the possibility of a compelling future, suicide is no longer an option. Mm. But if we're in so much pain that we turn left, there's pain. We turn right, there's pain. We go forward, there's pain. Back, there's pain. Everywhere, there's pain. Sometimes the thought of ending this game uh, and taking our own life is the only way out of pain. Right? Now, a lot of the time, people that cr uh, declare that they're suicidal it's really a scream for love. It's a scream for attention. It's a scream for help uh, because you know, nobody's listening. So if I threaten to kill myself, at least somebody's going to listen. 
But those that are genuinely depressed, those that are genuinely you know, thinking that there's no compelling future, usually are focused so much on their pain and they get so much secondary gain from that because they're so used to it now. It's like, you know, if it's so cold in the house, you're just used to shivering. You've got no energy to go find some wood to start a fire. So it becomes normal and you just adjust your set point to it. Then there's no compelling future on that. You just resign to a life of being cold and dying from hypothermia. Well, guess what? In winter, some people freeze, others decide to go skiing. Yeah, the outer world doesn't fit the pictures of your inner world. Guess what? It never does. Right? There is no utopian life. We're here to grow. Yeah, when you realize that life, when you make the decision or you come to the awareness that life is not a comfort zone centric experience, that's the biggest lie. That's the 21st century comfort lie that's been sold through commercialization of buy my stuff and have a better life. No. Life is a growth centric experience. You know, we're here in earth school, we're here in the gym. And when you understand that and you embrace it, you can start to say, well, listen, you know, the outer world is never going to fit the pictures of what my inner world says it should look like. And that's okay. That just gives me feedback on what I should learn to adjust to yeah, or, or rise above. And so, you know, if I'm suicidal, I've got to recognize something. Yeah, I'm giving something meaning in the outer world that is disempowering. Oh, I don't have a bank account. Oh, I'm going to lose my house. Oh, the love of my life left me. Oh, you know, my, the, the, the person I was closest to has died. Whatever it is. You have a choice in that moment. You have to understand it's a choice. Nobody can choose it for you. Do you choose to be empowered by that? Or do you choose to be disempowered by that? Mm. It's the binary equation, love or fear. I'm not saying it's easy. I didn't want to be happy at my mother's funeral. It's not about putting on a smile. Yeah, it's about saying, listen, I know that it's every parent's wish that their children outlive them. And how grateful am I that my mother yeah, got to have that wish. Do I miss her every day? Yeah, she's my last living close relative. Uh, do I understand that that's part of the cycle of life? Absolutely. Am I happy she's out of pain? Absolutely. Can I bring her back? No. Am I going to use that as a story to justify being a victim or being on my own? <laughs> Absolutely not. Right? So everything's a choice. And yes, it's tough. It's meant to be. We're in the gym. You've got some weight on the bar and some people are lifting a heavy weight right now. I get that. But... Freedom is on the other side. And sometimes you've got to lift the bar to break down the muscle to build it so that you can be stronger to be able to give your gift to carry somebody else. And the best way out of being depressed is to stop focusing on yourself and realize that what your biggest limitation is, is the key to your superhero strength. Mm. Oh, I didn't get the love I needed as a child. Who did? Right. Oh, well, you know, my boss is a, an idiot. Well, everybody else's boss is an idiot too. You know, there's no story out there that you can put on the table that somebody else doesn't have 10 times as much. Yeah. My wife had an affair with my best friend. Yeah. Well, guess what? Me too. Yeah. Everybody's got a story. Mm. Do you want to use that to beat yourself up? Or do you want to use that to say that no matter what happens, I'm now more empowered to have the actual experience that allows me to build empathy with other people that have gone through that so I can be the example for them on how to move forward rather than huddle around and, and justify being a victim. You know, they say so misery loves company. I don't believe that. I believe misery loves miserable company. Mm. Yes, very true. Right. If you hang around with people that are, are sad because, you know, they haven't got what they want in the bank account. They haven't got the love of their life. They, they've got a job they can't stand. They will get their significance, their connection, through being with other people that sing the same song because then they've got harmony and harmony resonates. Right? Go sing a different song. It's your choice. And life doesn't care. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you a, a, a quick metaphor here that hopefully will allow people to understand. Life is a kitchen. Right? And you've been given everything in that kitchen, the pots, the pans, yeah, the oven, the gas supply, yeah, all, all of that stuff. Right? You've been given all of the ingredients. Now, a lot of people are sitting in the kitchen complaining they're hungry. A lot of people are complaining they don't have a cordon bleu chef. Well, no, you're here to learn how to become a chef. But there's a built-in feedback mechanism, which means that if you put the pizza in the oven and you put it on for too long and it comes out burnt, guess what? That's feedback. Yeah, 
And I can work with that because that means if I put it in for less time, it won't be burnt. If I put it in for the perfect amount of time and it came out burnt, I'd be confused. I don't know how to work with that. Right? Somebody's in life, oh, well, I'm depressed. Well, guess what? You're sitting there thinking depressing thoughts. It's the perfect recipe for being depressed. Great, the system is working. Yeah, try thinking different thoughts and you'll get a different flavor coming out. Try taking a different action than sitting there and hitting the bottle and you'll have a different result coming out of the oven. It's a perfect feedback system. If I oversalt the food, the food is going to taste salty. Wow, thank you, life, for giving me a perfect closed-loop feedback system. Right? And if I sit back there and I oversalt the food and it tastes great, how can I learn from that? Mm -hmm. So if you, know, if you understand life is the perfect kitchen, you've got every opportunity, every yeah, resource. And okay, so you're complaining some people had some better pots and pans than you did. I've got news for you. Go spend some time in India, yeah, as I know you do, Jay, and see the contrast of what you think somebody else has that's less than you. Some people have a far worse kitchen and make far better food. What's mm. your excuse? Yeah. Okay, thank you. So, Pete, tell us a little bit about your book, The Inside Track. What is it about and what inspired you to write it? <laughs> that's a great question. Yeah, uh, the inside track available from all good online bookstores. Anyway, no, um, my little plug. So, uh, uh, oh, and I have somebody here who wants to say hello. If you don't mind, come on, come on, there we go. This is this is Bella. She's gonna make a quick appearance. Hello, what's his name? Dogs. This is Bella, and hello, that's her brother. Bella. And I love dogs because they are the epitome of unconditional love. Yeah. If you're lonely, get a dog. They'll never leave you. As long as you feed them. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite lonely. I need to get a dog. <laughs> oh, she's gorgeous. Uh, but when it comes, come, comes to the book, it, it's, it's a very unique and unusual book. Mm -hmm. And it was never meant to be a book. It's actually the, the 11 letters that I wrote on an incredible adventure that I had last year where I became the only non-criminal in Britain's toughest jail. And when I say non-criminal, says, oh, yeah, everybody says that. No, I was never even accused of a crime. I found myself in, in jail in a civil action um, through being in contempt of court, something that I wasn't expecting. I, I thought it was a chess move yeah, from the other side. I didn't give it any credence. I didn't prepare that well for it. I thought the judge would laugh it out in five minutes, and I learned a lot about how the court system worked. Uh, but the point is here, the river of life always bends. As I said, there's no straight lines in nature. You never see what's coming around the corner. The key is to flow with the river, not swim upstream, because that's exhausting. So when it looked as if I was actually going on you know, an adventure into jail, something I'd never have expected, I decided at that point that I have a choice. See, no one can ever take away your ability to make choices. You, they can reduce your decision space you know, in terms of the amount of choices you can make, you know, if you get put in jail, you can't choose to go home and have dinner with the family. So you have a smaller decision space, but you always have the ability to make choices on how you feel. Yeah, the fact is, Zoe, that nobody but nobody can do anything to you emotionally without your permission. And so when it looked as if I was about to go in and lose my business, lose my home, lose everything that I built, the uh, person I was with at the time said, why is this happening? And I said, listen, I don't know. I said, but here's what I do know. I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate that many people around the world over the last 20 years, millions of people have benefited from my work. But the people that could probably benefit the most may never get a chance to see it because they're in somewhere like Pentonville, which is one of the most violent, toughest prisons in Europe. I said, if the universe wants to send me into jail to help me go do my work, to help people I'd never normally get to see, let me go do my work. And I never went in with the identity of a prisoner, not for a second. I went in with the identity of a secret agent of change. And as a result of that, I went on a mission. I was there for six months and I was essentially filming you know, the movie of my life as we all star in. And I was on location for six months filming the prison scene, going to work to help as many people as I could. Now I could have got depressed if I focused on myself, what I'd lost, yeah, yeah, or all of the injustice of what I thought was happening. No, that, that game gets you nowhere fast. Regretting something that's already happened is a waste of time. Resisting what has already happened is a fast track to a hamster wheel of misery. So, you know, forget that. What can I do with moving forward? And I 
essentially decided every two weeks to write letters to my senior coaching clients, teaching them how I was turning what appeared to be a disaster into the most incredible adventure I'd ever had the privilege of living. And what tools was I using? What mental tools? Yeah, what were my beliefs that I was adopting? How do I navigate somewhere as dangerous as the most violent jail in England where three deaths in one week was the worst week I was there? You know, blood on the floor was a daily occurrence. How do you navigate that? Being having your liberty taken away. And that was another key point. I was teaching the prisoners the difference between freedom and liberty. See, they never took away my freedom. Freedom is a state of mind. The only thing they took was liberty. Well, you know, a kid can feel that their liberty is taken if their parents ground them. Somebody without a passport can feel that they don't, you know, their liberty is taken. Somebody who can't afford to take the bus can, has a restricted sense of liberty or someone who hasn't got any legs and, and can't leave the house. So the only thing they took away was, or reduced was my liberty. Nobody ever took my freedom away. That's a state of mind. And I was free to choose to be a victim, which I, I never choose, or I was free to choose to be empowered by it and go and live an adventure by trying to help others. And I, I'm very pleased to say that, you know, I, looking back afterwards, I, um, uh, I, I'm, I'm quite happy with, with how I showed up. You know, I changed a lot of lives in there. I won a national award for you know, getting people off drugs and stopping suicides. And I changed the entire intake. In fact, I've got one here. Uh, I designed something when, after I came out called the New Prisoner Welcome Booklet, uh, which is now being used in prisons across the UK and Australia and yeah. impacting prisoners all over the world, uh, changing the mindset of, of people to go from being victim to being empowered and coming out of prison to become upgraded versions of themselves in a better way rather than upgraded criminals that want to go re-offend. And I had to say, it was tough. Of course it was tough. It's never easy. Yeah, it was a pretty tough workout. There was a lot of weight on the bar that was being lifted, but wow, I didn't approach that complaining that I was in a gym that I didn't ask for. I approached it as a committed athlete knowing that if I want to go to the Olympics, I've got to go and lift some heavier weight. If I want to live my mission of raising the global consciousness of humanity, that requires big muscles and big muscles require a tougher workout. And if that's where I needed to go to be able to do it, I'm in. And that's the book. The book is the actual 11 letters that I wrote to my coaching clients while I was going through it. So it wasn't written afterwards. It's very unique. It actually tracks the journey in real time as it's unfolding. It's part journal, part how-to manual on dealing with anything in your life, and part you couldn't make it up, but it was true. Anyway, it's, uh, it, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm very proud to say it's helping a lot of people. And yeah, if, uh, if you, um, you've read part of it or all of it, Zoe, I know you feel free to comment on what you think. Thank you. You know, I have. I've read part of it. And yeah, very, very inspiring. Definitely. I'm actually thinking at the moment, there was the, um, the stories that you were telling. Um, well, I guess there weren't stories. There were true life experiences. Um, but it must have been so challenging for you and like a huge test on your skills to be in an environment where you're surrounded by individuals that have got really, really um, significant mental health problems and they see themselves as the victim um, they don't have the insight that you've got but they see themselves as this victim everything that we've just been talking about and not able to move forward yeah absolutely one in five people in Pentonville are on antipsychotic medications 20% of the entire prison yeah another 20% are antidepressants yeah, uh, another yeah, 20% are uh, so ego significance and violence driven that they don't think they need it and they're willing to, to you know, throw their weight around to prove it. Uh, so yeah, the, it's, it's a challenging environment. But what I, I saw that and I wrote this in my first letter, you know, it's what I call a graduation event. Remember, we're in earth school and at the end of the year, you get an exam in school. And if you pass the exam, you go to the next year and the lessons are harder. If you don't pass the exam, then guess what? You have to resit the exam. The questions are different. The circumstances are different, but the level uh, that's required to pass it is the same. And for some people, yeah, they spend their life taking the same exam. It may be their third failed marriage. It could be the second failed business. It could be their yeah, uh, second mild heart attack, whatever it is. But they're failing the exam of how to become the best version of themselves here in earth school. Mm-hmm. And for me, this was simply a graduation event. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talk a good talk. But what happens when you're tested? Uh, you, you, can, you, know, you, you can sit in class and take notes, but at some point an exam's coming to see if you validate what it is that you teach. And I, I'm, I, I go around the world, spoken in 60 countries, 
teaching how to be positive. Do you think life's going to say, well, let's just test you, see if you can walk your talk, if you're you know, able to be able to do that. If I couldn't have done that inside somewhere like Pentonville, yeah, I should never have got on another stage as long as I live until I could, because mm -hmm. that's, that's your graduation event. And I recognized that and I was, I was happy to embrace it. Yeah. No cameras, no second takes, no script. Yeah. Unpredictable, dangerous environment, six months, go walk your talk. Yeah. And, and sink or swim. And yeah, did I pass the test? Well, that, that's between me and life to decide. Uh, I'm, I'm happy with what I did. Could I have done things better? Well, of course, we always can. Yeah, did I pass the test? Well, I'd like to think that I, I did okay. <laughs> Do you feel yeah. that you made a significant difference in, in a, say, one person's life in there? Like, is there any, any particular individual that you feel that you really made your mark with? And you've uh, honest, too, too many to count. And at the back of the book, you actually see, yeah, a lot of the letters from the prisoners, from the prison mm -hmm. officers, mm -hmm. from the actual, yeah, uh, from the people I was working with. On and this is just a small section of the lives that I, I was very grateful to, ch to change. Uh, in fact, yeah, there's two letters here from uh, this one's from a yeah, senior officer has been in the uh, prison service for 27 years and uh, basically saying that uh, I'd impacted 60 to 70% of the entire prison within a few weeks of being there. Wow. And uh, uh, he'd never seen anything like it. He actually was, uh, he said at the end, it feels strange, but I wish he was here for longer. <laughs> Are you still in contact with any of the inmates? Yes. Uh, in fact, when I came out, um, because when I went in, I, I sold several tickets to the Sage Business School, like 50, 60 tickets just before I, I went away. And of course that had to get canceled. People wanted their money back. It was, uh, it was a, a complete nightmare and nobody understood what was happening. So I'd not really get it context because I didn't think it would, it would go the way it did. And, uh, when I came out, I, I, I had nothing. I started from scratch again and I had all of these people's obligations to honor. Uh, which I'm pleased to say every single one has been, you know, I provided every ticket up until last week where I took my final coaching clients to Africa, which was the, uh, the final obligations I had from coming out of, uh, of the experience to, for the people that had paid. Cause when I came out, all the money had gone, yeah, legal bills coming out of my ears. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so when I did the Sage business school, the following February, February this year, I actually granted several prison scholarships to people that I'd been inside with that were now out that came through my program one of which has gone on to, to produce some incredible stuff, or several have, are uh, producing incredible results. Uh, one of the gentlemen in there that I, I helped get released uh, through explaining to the judge uh, a lot of the patterns behind the circumstances and how I, I worked with him on some interventions inside, uh, asked me to become godfather to his son, which I now am. And uh, I talk about him in chapter nine, that's Patrick. And, uh, and many, many other magic moments. In fact, speaking of magic moments, I keep a list of magic moments for my life. Again, you talk about mental health challenges. Most people have some incredible memories throughout their life, but they stay on the shelf and get dusty because they're never pulled down and polished. I keep a written list and start. It's never too late to start. Keep a magic moments list. And every time you're feeling upset, go read it and reconnect with those memories. I added to it today. And I've got over a thousand magic moments for my life that I, I, you know, I, I keep adding to. Now, when I went into prison, I started a magic moments list from the moment I walked in. Walking out of jail was magic moment number 200. Now, literally the night before when I was walking around, uh, I, I finally on the last jail, I got the last six weeks, I got to an open jail. And the last um, night I was walking around and I was helping people. I was kind of the unofficial prison social worker at that point. And I, I had an intervention and an interaction with one guy who it just, it was so touching. He was so thankful for the work that I'd done with him. And that was my magic moment, number 199. And walking out the next morning to see, you know, my dogs and my partner and my, 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 my fans that had come to, to greet me was magic moment number 200. 200 magic moments in six months. I've only got a thousand for my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and it was, it was, there were so many magic moments in there that throughout that thing I'm so grateful for. And yeah, it doesn't matter what happens to you in life. So it only matters what you do with what happens. And if that's the only message people sitting on their own this Christmas take away, yeah, that there's always a way to look at it better. Oh, I'm on my own. Well, think of the money you're saving. I'm not buying people presents. 
right? Yeah, I'm on my own this Christmas. What a great time not to be distracted and focus on what you want to be able to get out of 2019. Yeah, I'm on my own this Christmas. Great. Well, then go you know, out and uh, pick something. Go buy a coffee and find somebody on the street and hand it to them without you know, even expecting a thank you in return. Go contribute something of yourself uh, and, and realize that life isn't all about what you can get. But we, like, we get lit up when we put a smile on somebody else's face more than our own. Exactly. It's about accepting our own circumstances. One of my favorite quotes, I don't know whether this one came from you or whether I'm sure you, I think you've spoken about it. Well, I know you've spoken about it a lot before, but it's accept what is as if you've chosen it deliberately. Yeah, that's, that's one of mine. Is that one of yours? <laughs> yeah, well, it's, yeah, it, it, for, it forms part of, and I'm sure, yeah, I, I don't take credit for, yeah, I mean, the, the universe provides. Yeah, it's, you know, you I, I just happen to be a mouthpiece. Right? So, but if you accept your circumstances at a deeper level as if you had already chosen them, see, most gifts in life, come in a special kind of wrapping paper, yeah, which is like a thin outer layer of adversity that's disguised yeah, the gift so that nobody else steals it. That's how I see it. You know, Napoleon Hill said categorically, and I wrote this when I got into my cell, I wrote this down. In fact, there's a, there's a picture of it in the book, the actual sign that I put yeah, in, in my cell yeah, when I was there, and I'll show you, because it's a quote from Napoleon Hill. Right? And it said, every adversity carries with it the seed of an equivalent or greater benefit. And that's the actual sign. It's in the book. That's the actual sign that I put in my cell. It was in crayon in color. Every adversity carries with it the seed of an equivalent or greater benefit. Wow. And the, cha the challenge is most people are too busy complaining at the adversity to water the seed. And therefore, you're never going to make it grow. So yes, if you chose, you know, if at some higher level, I've chosen to be in prison so that I could have this incredible adventure so that I could have this incredible uh, uh, opportunity, so I could experience things I'd only ever seen in movies, so I could test myself, so I could be humbled by you know, people whose lives were you know, so far removed from mine that I'd never have to complain about anything else as long as I live. Yeah. Wow, I mean, why, why wouldn't I volunteer to invest 1% of my life, you know, six months of my, uh, uh, my life, you know, half of 1% into an experience that gave me so much more out of it? So yeah, I, I took that as if I'd already chosen it at a higher level of, of intelligence. Thank you. So Pete, we've spoken about hitting rock bottom and acceptance. Focusing, um, I'd now like to focus on our being, our mind, as this is a very important part of kind of staying sane when you feel like your whole world is falling apart. So will you talk us through a typical day of Pete? What is it, <laughs> what is it exactly that you do to control and master your mind? Great, great question. It, I'm a great believer in ritual. Yeah, habits are formed in the brain through repetition, and we don't get to vote on that because it's how we're designed cybernetically, neurologically. Yeah, we are pattern-forming machines. The challenge is most people form the wrong habits, and we form habits two ways. We form it through re repetition, but we also form it through something called mirror neurons which is essentially observation or conditioning from the outside world. Most people surround themselves with the wrong kind of conditioning. And so I make sure that every day I get up and I have a ritual. I have a morning routine. I get up early. I have a meditation room at home. And I spend yeah, an hour or two every single morning programming my mind on my terms before I go out into the world and get bombarded with everybody else's model as to why it doesn't work. I'm impervious at that point. I don't care. I don't care what everybody else says. I'm not buying into their projections. I'm buying spend, into how I create mine. You spend a whole hour. I spend it. two hours on, on, wow. my, on my morning routine. Five o'clock till seven o'clock is my morning routine. And part of that is reading inspirational books. Part of that is journaling, looking for the gift in where my current adversities are. Part of that is meditation. Part of that is doing heart math. Uh, part of that is watching what I call a mind movie. Yeah, I, I, I think mind movies are amazing. Mindmovies.com, it's, it's a great bit of software. Yeah, and it's like a multimedia vision board. So I watched my mind movie before I had this um, uh, interview with you, Zoe. And it gets me excited. It comes from possibility. It comes from why we can, not how we can't. And I spend my time sharpening my mind. See, the mind is like a compass needle. It can only point in one direction at a time. 
even if you think that you can multitask, you're actually moving it quickly in different directions, but the mind can only point in one direction at a time. Now, the problem is if you take a compass needle, when you're sleeping awake, when you're unconscious, it'll default to its current magnetic north. Now, you can grab hold of a magnet and pull that compass needle and point it somewhere else, let's say positive, but it's always going to go when you're sleeping awake, when you're 95% of the time acting out of habit, it's going to drift back to where it's been conditioned, magnetized. You know, how do you magnetize a needle at school? Easy. You take a magnet and you stroke it consistently in one direction. Well, our thoughts are constantly being stroked in the direction of, yeah, uh, of, of the input. So every morning I re-magnetize my compass needle into a positive direction so that when I'm sleeping awake, when I'm walking out of habit, when I'm driving unconsciously, when I'm just you know, sitting there and I'm not consciously in the front of my brain, my compass needle default to its natural true north, which is more positive than negative. That doesn't happen by chance. That happens by choice because you have to override the traditional programming, which is the media, everybody else's victim story, yeah, the circumstances out there that don't fit the pictures of what I think they should look like in here, all of which is constantly trying to magnetize your needle in a negative direction. Right? So if you don't consciously put the time in to magnetize your needle positively, I've got news for you. Life will do it for you and the result ain't going to be good. So do that every single day consistently. Ask better questions. What's great about this I've not noticed yet? What can I be grateful for? What are three things in my life that I thought previously were upsets that turned out to be the greatest gifts and how can I use that as a reference for applying now just because I can't see the gift yet? Yeah, ask better questions, program that needle, it'll be your best friend and life will shift dramatically. William James, the father of positive thinking, when asked at the end of his life, what's the most profound lesson he ever learned? Answered instantly, without any hesitation, that a person can change the circumstances outer world uh, of their life by changing their attitude of mind, their inner world. When you know in your heart the outer world follows inner world, not the other way around, you'll never want to think another negative thought. Just because there's a delay in it showing up means that people, because it's not instantaneous, don't like it, therefore they don't believe it, therefore they don't follow it, and therefore they get more crap showing up in their life. Case closed. Thank you. Thank you. Um, how important is it for you to give back, Pete? What initiative and what initiatives have you been involved in? Again, it comes down to the, what, what, what rules does nature operate by? Growth and contribution. We're here to grow, not so that we can have a bigger ego. We're here to grow so that we can contribute beyond ourselves. See, a, a blood cell doesn't think, you know, have its own agenda saying, right, I'm, well, look at all that hemoglobin I'm picking up from the lungs. I'm going to keep some of that for myself rather than drop it off at the liver. No. Hemoglobin is there to be able to serve its purpose. You and I are just blood cells in the universal body of consciousness. Yeah? And if we don't learn how to grow and contribute, yeah, the second part, then life's going to give us some feedback. That's, we're, we're, going to, we're going to be eating salty pizza. Right? So it's important. Now, you can't give what you don't have. That, people that try that, it's called the martyr pattern. Yeah, they give and give and give under the illusion that that means yeah, someone will give me love. Someone will recognize me and give me an ego stroke. No. Uh, that's a, trying to manipulate the rule to feed your fears. So if you come from a place of, yeah, I have to grow. I can't give that which I don't have. If I don't love myself, don't expect anybody else to love me any more than I love myself. That just won't work. So, but if I can come from a place of being okay where I'm at, regardless of no money, no place to live, Every, all my friends hate me, whatever it is, being okay where I'm at, I can choose to move forward. And at that point, I'm focused on what can I do to help somebody else? Somebody else is always worse than I am. How can I put a smile on somebody else's face yeah, rather than my own? And so, yeah, I mean, the book is a great way that I wanted to contribute to the people outside of prison so that they can have a, a tool manual on being able to deal with their life. If you're not, and it doesn't mean say go to charity, uh, I'm not a big believer in charities, I'll be honest. Most charity business models have nothing to do with the intent to serve. They have everything with the intent to look good and make money yeah, and prey on other people's weaknesses and inability to say no or guilt. That's yeah, another conversation. Yeah, most people uh, donate anonymous to charity so that they can tell everybody about it. Mm. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's, that's yeah. using contribution as a vehicle to get significance. Uh, that's not authentic contribution. 
Mm. Yeah, go contribute and, and don't pick the litter up and put it in the bin when nobody's looking. I appreciate what you're saying, but all the same, I know there are people that do that because, um, you know, it makes them feel good as much as it makes, um, you know, the people they're contributing to feel good. But whatever the reason, what behind it, the fact that you're contributing and the fact that you're helping someone, isn't that a positive thing? Intention is everything. If you're using it as a vehicle, there's no authentic intent there. You don't really, you're not really that associated to what's happening. You're doing it as a motivation to be able to look good yeah, or yeah, buy off your guilt or do whatever it is. Bear in mind, you don't make a real difference. You, you have no control over what difference you make. The only control you have in this life is can you be a, the best example of who you are, uh, case closed. Right? So how it's affecting your consciousness is key and are you doing it out of authentic being or are you doing it out of some strategy to try to alleviate guilt or buy significance or what have you the end result's almost irrelevant right? how it applies to you on your journey is the star of your movie in your life does it raise your consciousness or and lower your fear or does it raise your ego yeah and lower your growth that's that's the game you want to be focused on not justifying it by some uh, theoretical end result because you managed to buy a well in india Right? And I'm not saying that's, that's right or wrong or good or bad. I'm saying don't extrapolate to that part and have it be a higher priority than your own personal reasons for being able to do it. Okay. We have spoken a lot about strategies, um, but if we don't implement them and put into action, we're not going to make any changes. Is there any advice that you can give people who are fearful about moving forward and change? Uh, yes, and let's talk about procrastination because it's one of the most misunderstood aspects of life. Yeah, most people try to combat procrastination with motivation. And while that can have temporary yeah, sort of way of being able to do it, it's like you know, the handbrakes on the car, you're procrastinating. Well, let's just push the car a lot harder. And uh, yeah, you may even get some movement, but yeah, you've got that handbrake on. How do you take the handbrake off is the key. And that's where most people don't understand the role that procrastination plays. Procrastination is your friend. Procrastination is actually an inbuilt mechanism that is stopping you from engaging in an activity that your brain has already future-paced fear of failure into. In other words, let's I'll pick an example. Oh, I really should do this business plan and start this business. But I keep putting it off. What's happening is the brain has already says, if I start that business and fail, I won't be good enough. It'll trigger the fear I'm not enough. Whereas if I don't start the business, then it's not that I, I'm not good enough, I just didn't start the business. So it'll throw procrastination in until you surrender the fear of failure at the end of what it is that you're procrastinating. Once you give up that you surrender that fear, procrastination, the handbrake doesn't need to be on and it's, it just dis dissipates. So if you're fearful of moving forward, what has to happen for you to surrender that fear? Well, you have to change the meaning of what it means. Oh, if I fail, I'm not good enough. Well, who says? You see, we're in earth school. If you're not here to get every answer right, if you get every answer right, you're in the wrong class. And if you graduate earth school, expect a bus to come along any minute and take you out of the game because you're graduated, no longer need to be here. <laughs> Smack by. Yeah, so, yeah. It's just like saying, oh, well, I don't want to ask a girl out on a date until I'm certain that the person I ask is going to say yes. Now, you're looking at one lonely person there. That's never going to happen. No. What if I was to say your soulmate is, on your, uh, is, your, is the person after your seventh no? You can either turn around and say, well, I'm so scared of being rejected, I'm going to stay alone for the rest of my life, and why isn't it number one? Never happens. Or you can say, how fast can I get through those seven to get to my soulmate? Oh, well, I'm scared of starting a business. I'm scared of moving forward. I'm scared of asking my boss for a pay rise. I'm scared of you know, being able to go and, um, you know, and start this, this idea I've always wanted to start. Uh, why are you scared? Well, what if it fails? Well, it, it's probably going to fail. And so you can learn the lessons on how to become better at it next time. What if the key to freedom was in the fifth business you started? How fast can you get through the first four? Oh, but it's painful being rejected by a girl at the bar. Well, it's painful you know, being uh, failing a business and having to downsize and live in a smaller place. It's part of the journey. 
go swing the bat. If you define yourself by the outside world, you're always going to be fearful and you're always going to live in a smaller box and be lonely anyway. What's the alternative? Yeah, so, you know, surrender the fear, uh, go swing the bat, and procrastination will dissipate and you'll go and enjoy and get in the game. Okay, thank you. Are we doing for time, Peaks? I know you're on a tight schedule. I am, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to be we're having to wrap up shortly, I'm afraid, huh? Have we got time for a couple more questions? I'll, I'll, keep, the answer, I'll keep the answer sweet. How's that? Okay, okay. So, Peter, you run of the, ran one of the most famous, intense ultra foot races in the world, the Marathon de Sables. When it got tough and mentally you had nothing left, what did you draw on for your inspiration? Well, yeah, I, I pulled every trick out of the bag I could. I mean, I was visualizing helium balloons attached to my pack. Yeah, <laughs> I, was, yeah I, I, I was focused on, on helping others. That really helps. You know, as I was on, on Dune Day where we're running over sand, sand dunes, yeah, yeah. the size of some of the buildings in Dubai. And uh, I, you could hear the blood squelching around in people's feet. Yeah. And I was just basically, I remember running over one of the sand dunes and everyone around me is just in pieces. And I started belting out. Yeah, not that I'm a good singer, but yeah, uh, I was starting to belt out, always look on the bright side of life. Uh, and everybody started smiling and laughing and, and what have you. And it just lifted the mood. But there was one point where it was on the day of the double marathon. I'd woke up with food poisoning. I've got 84 kilometers to run that day uh, across some of the toughest terrain in the planet. It's 130 degrees, yeah, about 50 Celsius. Um, water is, is so rationed. I've got a sandstorm blowing in my face. I've got food poisoning. I've run the best part of 100 miles up at this point already. I'm done. And it was at that point that I actually got my inspiration from somebody else. And it was a blind Korean guy, competitor, that ran past me, tied at the wrist to his guide. And I'm like, whoa, hang on a minute. What possesses somebody who, who's not an athlete? He's a pensioner uh, that's running the toughest foot race in the world. What, 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 why? And I, you know, I'm a student of human behavior. I want to find out. And I, I chased after him. And I, I found out something that changed my entire outlook for the race. Yeah, I was running that race out of ego to brag to girls in a bar that you know, I could you know, run the toughest foot race in the world. Is I'd wide you climb Everest because it's there. You know, all of that stuff. You know, it was just a challenge. You know, next level. And this guy was running the race to raise money for the hospice that looked after his brother when he was dying of cancer. I'm like, whoa, that tapped into a deeper level of inspiration. That tapped into a deeper level of uh, of energy and commitment because it wasn't about him. That's what I said earlier. Most people are depressed because they're too focused on themselves. Mm. Most people are depressed because they're too focused on what's happening in their outer world. It doesn't match the pictures of what they think it should look like or they want it to look like in their inner world because they don't know they're in a gym. They think they're in a comfort zone and it's not comfortable. Right? They're in a kitchen and they're hungry because nobody's cooking them food. Right? When they've got everything around them to be able to go and, and, uh, and start creating something. But they don't want to do it because you know, they don't realize. So he inspired me at that point to realize that it wasn't about me and my ego. It wasn't about, you know, being able to brag that I could run X hundred kilometers across the desert. You know, why am I doing it? And it was really about finding out some of the deeper questions of myself. Who am I at my lowest? Uh, how far can I dig deep? And doing it for my ego got me sitting on a rock quitting and wanting to cry. And doing it for the reasons of hopefully to inspire other people uh, got me off the rock and finished the race. Okay. Thank you. One last question, Pete. Got slightly going off track here as well. Um, so you talk a lot about energy, consciousness, and relationships. So do you believe in love and one lifetime partner? <laughs> um, no and yes, or yes and no would be the answer to that. Yes, do I believe in love? Of course, everything that I see in the world that works yeah, operates from a place of love. Everything I see doesn't operate from a place of fear. You know, if you look at evolution on 400 million years of fossil records, the, the, the modus operandi of life seems to be to evolve into higher levels of complexity. Complexity requires cooperation, and the ultimate extrapolation of cooperation is love. Therefore, what's the purpose of life? To evolve into love. Sorry, that's, you know, go deal with it. So, uh, but one partner for life, I see, using the movie metaphor, uh, I see that we're the star of our own movie in our life. Why? Because we're in every single scene. 
Now, if you take Hollywood as a, a comparable, as a fractal expression of that, yeah, you're the star of your movie. You're going to have supporting cast in there. You're going to have other actors, film extras, everyone. Your job is to get on with the people you need to go and act, act the best you can in the scenes that you can. Some people are going to come into your life for a scene. Some are going to come into your life for an act. Some are going to be in your movie for the whole, you know, for the whole movie. But you know, at some point, you're going to finish your movie. They, at some point, they're going to be the final, the, people are going to shoot their final scene in your movie. And you may meet them again in another movie in another lifetime. I think we call those soulmates. But does that mean that just because I have a connection with somebody I've worked with on a film before that I insist that they have to be in every single scene in my movie this time around? No, I don't get that. Uh, can I love them no matter what? Absolutely. If I'm with my soulmate yeah, and it's their truth 10 years down the line to be with somebody else, not out of fear, not out of me being an idiot and them not wanting to be with me anymore, but their truth. Am I able to surrender my attachment to that from fear of being alone and allow them to walk that? Damn right. right. Who am I to be able to own somebody else? We've outlawed slavery in many countries a long time ago. So I'm committed to walking my truth. Now, if my truth happens to be with the same person throughout that movie, wow, what a great movie. But if my truth is to walk a different path, what do I do? Compromise my truth to be with somebody else? Ask them to compromise their truth to be with me? Or have an emotionally mature level of understanding where we celebrate yeah, the life that we've already had, um, have a, 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 a mature emotional sort of ceremony of untying ourselves from each other and wishing ourselves well in the next act in our own movies? Absolutely. Uh, the Egyptians had this. They understood the difference between the agreements of cohabiting and the agreements of co-parenting. Two very different things. Oh, I'm staying together even though I'm miserable because of the sake of the kids. Oh, so you're going to teach your kids to grow up in a dysfunctional, loveless environment because you're scared of being able to have your own truth to be able to move forward. Sorry, I don't buy that. Now, that's you justifying the kids to not be able to have the courage to walk your own path. Right? Or you're with somebody who's emotionally immature and will use the kids as a political pawn in a divorce to try to control or coerce you through guilt into not walking your truth. No. So... Yeah. Do I believe in a soulmate? Yeah, absolutely. Do I believe in soulmates having to be the same person throughout an entire movie? No, I don't. I thought you and Thea, I thought Thea was your soulmate. There I, is a soulmate. Yeah, we, we, we were together for, for six and a half years. And right now we're in a place where she's walking a different path and I'm walking a different path. And if we happen to come back together, uh, having gone through our own individual adventures, amazing. And if we don't, and she finds somebody else who's her then soulmate at that particular part of her movie, amazing. You know, that's got nothing to do with love or, or not loving somebody. That's got everything to do with celebrating somebody's truth. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for your time today, Pete. Um, for anyone that hasn't heard of you before, where can they find you online? Well, uh, petersage.com is my website. Uh, I've got a lot of stuff on my YouTube channel. I try to put as much free content out there to help as many people as I can, whether it's understanding things like you know, business or relationships or psychology or human behavior. Yeah, it's all designed to empower people or take them from a place where uh, they, you know, they're not feeling great to a place where hopefully they can have the tool set to continue permanently feeling great or at least navigate the gym. Uh, be able to have a better workout than a tougher workout and, and come at it from a place that allows them to live the best life that they can live as the best version of themselves. So thank you for the opportunity today, Zoe. It's been awesome to connect and uh, hopefully people listening to this have got some value out of it. And, and um, that's on cool. Instagram and Facebook. Yeah, usual, yeah, usual place. Go check, go in, go follow, um, subscribe. YouTube is probably where I put a lot of stuff out there, but Instagram, Facebook as well would be great. Excellent. Okay. Thank you so much, Peter. And thank you to you, the viewers, for watching the Simply Blossom Show.